just take a moment to listen. This is probably a world away from wherever you are right now, at home, on the train, at work. But somewhere in the world, this sound is happening right now. This is a live recording of a rainforest. It's being beamed out by sensors sitting in the trees, listening and broadcasting. Those sitting in front of our computers or looking at our phones might make us feel a million miles from that rainforest. It's exactly those devices which can give us instant access to them. Technology is a powerful thing, but maybe the most powerful thing in our tech age is not a piece of technology, but the information it collects. Data. If information is power, then data collecting devices are almost omnipotent. As technology progresses, we can observe and collect more and more data. While there's obviously privacy concerns around the collection of personal information, when it's applied to the environments we live in, and even the ones we don't, there's no end to its usefulness. Sensors and the data they collect can mean cleaner air, less water use, or the saving of a rainforest species. This is Think Digital Futures. I'm Dan Butler. It's sort of a program, so it's, it's a whole bunch of, of different projects that sit under this Tulip umbrella. Um, and it's, it's, it's an acronym, so it stands for Technology for Urban Livability Program. This is Andrew Tovey. He's a senior research consultant at the Institute for Sustainable Futures at the University of Technology, Sydney. The Tulip project sits under what you would call smart cities developments. But what does that mean, smart cities? So smart cities is a sort of nebulous term where it's really about the application of new digital technologies to the urban environment to try to make cities better. Um, It's also increasingly about including people in that mix. So it's not just about technology, it's about how we use technology to benefit communities and get sustainability outcomes and how we engage uh, and 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 build collaboration and get people actually involved rather than as just sort of passive end users. Um, within smart cities, uh, which can encompass a whole range of stuff, like whether you're looking at energy or water or transport or um, waste, or you name it, anything that's uh, happening in a city <laughs> at any level, in any domain, um, you can sort of bundle into smart cities. Closely monitoring these kinds of things within a city is duly important going forward. As climate change worsens, infrastructure will come under increasing strain and intense events like heatwaves more common. And secondly, if we are to mitigate our continuing contribution to climate change, our cities must become more efficient. Monitoring our infrastructure and climactic events will become necessary. 
uh, we know that um, climate change is creating uh, greater impacts for our Australian cities as, as every year goes by. Um, if we look at urban heat, uh, we know that we're going to get more heat waves. We're going to get longer heat waves, uh, more severe heat waves. Um, and heat's actually the biggest environmental problem impacting human health and well-being uh, out of any uh, natural phenomenon, natural disasters in the country. You know, so storms, floods, fires, uh, it's got nothing on, on heat waves uh, in terms of the impact of, on the morbidity, morbidity. So that's people getting sick um, and uh, mortality people die. Um, and if you look at in Western Sydney, uh, you have uh, often conditions which are considerably hotter uh, than, say, the eastern suburbs. Um, not only that, but within a given suburb, you can have enormous variation in, in urban heat uh, during a particular heat event. So generally speaking, the hotter it is, um, the more variation you'll have. On those days where it's, it's well over 40 degrees, you can have... Um, in excess of 10 degrees variation in localized temperature. And the reason we get that is due to, uh, in large part, the design of the urban environment, the, the way we design our, our cities, our communities. There's some obvious examples here. More trees, cooler environment. Concrete safari, stinking hot suburbs. That's not rocket science, but there's more complexity at play here, and it matters at the micro scale taking measurements street by street. And part of what we can start to do with smart sensor technology is to gather data about that very fine-grained variation in the city um, and hopefully start to understand how to make cities cooler. This is where the IoT, or Internet of Things, sensors come in. Internet of Things describes the emerging ecosystem of objects and devices that are internet-enabled. For example, your fridge that tells you the weather, or Alexa playing some kind of music for you, or of course, your phone. The new accessibility of these objects facilitate the kind of monitoring Andrew is talking about. So there's, there's two things we can do there. Like One, because we've got um, low-cost sensors, we can put out lots of them. And so we get this sort of in, like increasingly fine mesh of sensors sending their data. Um, and we gather that all up. And then over a summer and over multiple summers, um, we start to see trends. Of course, we already have something similar to these measurements. Satellite imagery provides an overview of cities' temperatures or air quality, for example. But the really cutting-edge thing about these kinds of finely-tuned sensors is the live data they can provide. And that's new, because up until now, uh, people have gone out and put a data log in, you put it out there, and then you leave it there or something, and you go back and get it a few months later, and you download all the, all the data off the, off the SD card, and then you can go away and analyse it and do some research. But these new sensors that we kind of work with within smart cities... Um, they send data in real time um, or they send sort of, you know, a, an update every 10 minutes or something. Um, now, uh, we can start to do something with that data in real time. So if you've got any kind of automated system in your city that is able to respond to information and then and then take appropriate action, um, 
you then sort of link your data sources up with your actions and then you get outcomes uh, that might help. Once you have the data, there's any number of options for how to use it and who can use it. We're getting some live information and we're going to give it to people who can make a decision. Now, those people might be members of the public um, and they might say, oh, well, you know, the air quality where I normally walk my dog is terrible today, so I'm not going to go out and walk my dog. Um, or they might be, uh, there could be people who are, you know, HR managers, or they might be running um, a childcare center or something, and they go, actually, well, you know, the air quality today is terrible outside, so we're not going to have outdoor play for the kids. Or um, any number of situations you care to imagine where an individual uh, or potentially an institution, but it's still people, are making a decision based mm -hmm. on real-time information. Um, there's also another thing which we can do with real-time information where we take people out of the picture. So rather than having to give information to a person who then goes and does something manually, we actually take information, we make it machine-readable, uh, and we feed it straight into an automated system. This is where the layering of technology and IoT devices can interact and use the data being fed in by sensors like Tulip. And system is then able to create a feedback loop essentially a really really simple ver version of this um, that should make sense to everyone is if you were to say have some soil moisture sensors and some temperature sensors and maybe a feed of information from the bureau of meteorology um, you bring that information together and you plug it into an automated irrigation system so if you've got a park rather than turning the irrigation system on in that park at you know two o'clock in the afternoon every single day <clears throat> whether or not it's hot and sunny or cloudy or whatever else you turn it on in response to the level of moisture in the soil and whether or not it's going to rain into our time and a couple of other factors and then you run that system automatically there's no human involved at its absolute optimal so what you're doing is ensuring that you, all your plants get watered and they're all healthy and you're using the perfect amount of water you're not using too much water and there you get water saving outcomes. These sensors aren't limited to the urban space. Thanks to their affordability and availability, they can be deployed in all kinds of environments, even rainforests. Rainforest Connection is a nonprofit tech startup, and we were founded in 2013. Originally, the idea was our founder and CEO, Topher, was in the forest in Sumatra and realized that, um, you know, the rangers there were spending pretty much all of their time patrolling the land to try to find the illegal logging that was happening. Um, but he sort of also realized that there was pretty decent cell coverage there and sort of um, notice that the forest communicates mostly by sound. Chrissy Durkin is the Director of International Expansion at Rainforest Connection. And so he had this idea to develop acoustic monitoring technology that would make it possible to automatically detect if there were sounds of illegal activities happening in the rainforest. first generation of the sensors were simply old mobile phones hooked up to solar panels to power them. And what they do and still do is they record the entire soundscape 
and they stream all of that data to the cloud using GSM connectivity. And then on the cloud, we run AI models for whatever sounds we're interested in. So chainsaws, vehicles, gunshots, hounds, human voices. Um, we use AI models to detect these sounds out of the entire soundscape. And once we um, get one of these detections, it is sent to an app on rangers' phones. And so rangers who were previously, you know, really patrolling on foot, um, some technology could be used like, you know, satellite imagery is really good for large scale understanding of what's happening. Camera traps, you can occasionally figure out, you know, in one particular area if someone passes by, but there was no good way to understand at scale what was happening in real time in these ecosystems that were, are, you know, extremely threatened by illegal logging, poaching, mining. So now using these devices, rangers can um, get an alert when there's a sound of an illegal activity. So a ranger will get an alert on their phone and on the app, they can see the spectrogram of the alert and they can listen to it and they can confirm or reject that sound. Um, and then that helps us train our AI models to make them even better. And then they can, you know, take photos and videos of the incident and all of that data is stored in a nice way so that it can even be used for things like forensic evidence and um, and to prosecute, you know, these, these large operations that are destroying ecosystems. Rangers can triangulate where the logging or other illegal activity is happening and go straight to the area to prevent it. In national preserves that can stretch for many thousands of hectares, it's invaluable. But it doesn't stop there. No data going into the phone is wasted. It's particularly helpful in monitoring populations of endangered animals. Yes, we can track, you know, many different species of birds. We've created models for primates like spider monkeys in Costa Rica. Um, there are, and, and now, you know, we're going even beyond that from just individual species to being able to track entire communities of species. So um, having one model that can um, be built to detect, you know, a hundred species in an area, it really makes it possible to understand on a really large scale how biodiversity is being impacted by climate change, by encroachment. Um, and then we can use that, whether it's for one species to guide a conservation management plan or looking at the ecosystem as a whole, um, you can use a lot of that, a lot of those insights to uh, make your decisions, really. For example, even there's a project that we're about to start working on in Colombia in which there's a species of primate called cotton-top tamarins. And they're being poached um, because they're they're just really incredible animals and they're being poached and sold into the pet trade. And so um, you can even, you know, detect their calls and, and know where they're located. And so you can have rangers go and, and protect the animals and, and make sure that they're nearby um, so that uh, they could catch any potential poachers. Putting these sensors out into the world can give us a better sense and understanding of that world. Though rampant capitalism and consumerism is to blame for a rapidly dwindling wildlife and worsening environmental conditions, our tech advances can nonetheless be co-opted in the effort to do something about it. And if it all seems a bit much sometimes, just listen. So you can hear how different species are reacting. You know, there are monkeys that are shrieking and then a little bit of time passes and you can start hearing sort of the bugs come back in and um, it's really interesting. So there are also kind of selected neat clips that you can click on in that app as well that I think are pretty cool. 
Yeah, exactly. And it's neat because, you know, especially in times of COVID, we're all sort of locked up and um, it's, it, it, there's something special about, it's almost like you can travel to different places around the world because you know that, you know, this, these are the sounds of the forest that are happening right now. And there's something sort of special about that. Thanks for listening to Think Digital Futures. This episode was made in the studios of 2SER Radio here in Sydney, which sits on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. It was made with the assistance of the University of Technology, Sydney. You can subscribe to Think Digital wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Dan Butler. Till next time.